take your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, if you will. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the last two Sunday mornings. Uh, Justin Lehman, pastor, co-pastor of Grandview Baptist Church. My wife and I started uh, this church 37 and a half years ago, and this June will be our 38th year anniversary. And uh, my intentions is to then have Pastor Layman be the pastor of Grandview Baptist Church, and I will be one of the assistants, and I'll be the assistants to the uh, senior citizens, of which I am. So uh, you'll get to see more of me, and I'll get to see a little more of you, and I'm looking forward to that. And let me just say, uh, I have been so pleasantly pleased uh, with what God is doing with Pastor Layman not just uh, in his preaching, that's, that's pretty much all you get to see is when he preaches to you, but I get to see his leadership all throughout the week. And may I say for a young man, uh, God has given him amazing leadership skills. Uh, he heads up our staff meetings and gives staff devotions, and God is using him and has his hand a blessing upon him. And for me, I could not be happier uh, you do not want to build a church only to see it decline. I can tell you the best days of Grandview Baptist Church are all ahead, and I am thrilled about that. We are in First Thessalonians chapter 4, looking at verses 1 through 8. If you're able to stand, would you stand with us as we read God's Word? If you're not able to, that's fine. Remain seated. Now, I realize we have the Lord's Supper, so... Uh, I will be going through these eight verses perhaps a little quicker than normally, and uh, take that as a promise from a Baptist preacher, <laughs> whatever, whatever that means. I, I've heard all my life, well, I'm going to hurry through this sermon. It didn't seem like it, but I'm, I'm going to try. So uh, the Bible says in verse 1, for Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For ye yourselves, uh, for ye know what, excuse me, for ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any manner, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness." He therefore that despises, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given us his Holy Spirit. And let's bow our heads for a word of prayer, and then you may be seated. Father, thank you for this time we have to look at your word. And I pray the Holy Spirit would be our special guest and illuminate the word of God to all of our hearts. And Lord, I pray we've come not for information, but for transformation we want you to do a work in our lives. And Lord Jesus, take your word and your spirit and let that happen. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. 
The Apostle Paul is talking about practical Christian living. He's telling the Christians at Thessalonica and all of us, because it's found in God's Word, after you've trusted Christ as your personal Savior, what is God's plan for your life? How does God want you and I as believers to live? And so that's what the Apostle Paul is going to touch on in these first eight verses of First Thessalonians chapter 4. He starts off with a word, furthermore. Now, that's not a word that you and I use very often, is it? Furthermore. But we use the concept all the time. Uh, we'll say, well, the rest of the story is, or let me add to what I just said. And so we have wordy ways of saying furthermore, but the Word of God simply says that one thing. It simply means, having established what I've just said in chapter 3, let me now go on from there. And so I think that in chapter 3, verse 13, its last chapter, or its last verse in that chapter, is what sums up what the Apostle Paul is trying to say to the church at Corinth, uh, at Thessalonica. I'm so excited to be here, I, I'm going to tie my tongue, I guess. But verse 13, to the end that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Now, in verses 1 through 8, he's going to talk about personal holiness. And we'll get into some of those specifics that he's talking to us about how to live. But in verse 13, he sort of concludes all that he said in chapter 3, and it is the uh, foundation of which chapter 4 comes on. And I want us to notice two specific things in verse 13 before we get to verses 1 through 8. And first of all, who does the establishing in our lives in holiness? Who? Who does that? Well, in verse 13, to the end, he. Now, if you had a pen, I would circle that word, he. He may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God. So who is it that establishes us in holiness? It is none other than Jesus Christ himself. Now, if you are trying to live a holy life in your power, good luck with that. You are trying to do a frustrating thing because you fail, you fail, you fail, you fail, and you fail. But when you get to that place where you realize that only Jesus Christ can work out holiness in us, then you just yield to him and all of a sudden you start seeing the fruits of holiness showing up in your life where it never showed up before. Paul said it this way, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. So that's why we're so frustrated if we try to check all the boxes, you know, I, I read my Bible, I go to church, I give, I dis, I pray, I, you know, check all the boxes and think that's going to make me holy. No, it's just going to frustrate you of how many boxes you forget to check. You never get there. But when you get to the realization that your holiness is only found in the Lord Jesus Christ, then all of a sudden 
You yield to His Spirit and you let Jesus work out His life in you. You see, we, we become the individuals through whom the life of Christ is lived because He lives in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so in this passage, I want to see who does the establishing holiness. And secondly, I want us to see when. When is this holiness completed? In verse 13, it says, Even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. So when does that happen? At the rapture of the church. When Jesus comes and gathers all believers, those who've died in Christ and those who are alive, and he gathers them all together. Now the soul and spirit of those who've died in Christ are already with him. Be absent from the bodies, be present with the Lord. But he gathers together all those atoms. You say, how's he going to do that? Well, he made everything out of nothing, so it's no problem for God. And he gathers the bodies together, and we all meet him in the air. Believers coming with Jesus, their bodies coming up. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up and be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. In fact, the rest of chapter 4 is going to tell us about all that good stuff. And that's about two weeks away we're going to get to that. I love preaching about the second coming of Christ or the rapture of the church. That's going to be a wonderful thing. So uh, when does it happen? When we all stand before him. Now, wait a minute, but not a day earlier. Let me just tell you, as long as you're in this flesh, you're going to have problems. And we are in a battle. And the only thing good in us is what Christ put in us. Amen? And as you grow in grace, the whole purpose of that is for Christ to put more and more of His goodness in us. We are to reflect His personhood, not ours. And as we yield ourselves to the Lord. And so that's what we see here in verses 1 through 8. In verse 1, He beseeches and exhorts he says, I, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus. Now, to beseech is to plead or to beg. Exhort, that's stronger. Exhort is like, uh, and we're commanding you. We insist. This is God's plan for your life. It's not a heavenly suggestion. It's not saying, well, let me give you a good counsel. No, he's saying, this is what God wants us to do as believers. As ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. So the key of the Christian life is that last phrase, more and more. Now, you might have been saved just a few weeks, a few months, or you might be saved 70 years. But no matter how long you've been in Christ, God's plan for your life is to be a little more like Him more and more and more and more. You see, the Christian life is not about perfection. That's what we have in our heavenly account. But it's about progress. God wants each and every one of us to make progress in the Christian life. And that's His plan. I read an illustration about Pablo uh, Casal. He was 95 years of age, and a reporter was questioning him. And he said, Mr. Casal, that you are 95 and the greatest cellist, 
and I hope I pronounce that right. I'm not in the orchestra, but you play the the cello, uh, celloist, cellist that ever lived. And yet, at 95, you practice six hours a day. Why do you do that? And he said, because I think I'm making progress. <laughs> and by the way, that's the same reason you read your Bible when you're 80 and 90. You got all the, you say, well, at not, you know, at 90, I can't really get into a lot of trouble. But you can still think it. <laughs> You can still think it, even though your body doesn't cooperate with misbehaving very well. You can still think it. And the truth is, that's why we read our Bibles. That's why we pray. That's why we talk to the Lord. We're making progress in the Christian life. We want, even on the last day of our life, we want our life to reflect Christ. And we want to grow closer and closer and closer into the image of our precious Savior. And that's the role of the Holy Spirit who indwells us, to conform us into his image. And then uh, I heard a story Edwin Bliss said, The pursuit of excellence is gratifying and healthy. The pursuit of perfection is frustrating, neurotic, and a terrible waste of time. Because all you feel is laden with guilt if perfection is your goal. When will we be uh, perfected? When we stand with Christ at the rapture of the church. And I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that more than walking on streets of gold. I'm looking to that more than the mansion that Christ has prepared for me. That day where I no longer do battle with my own depraved nature, and I can live wholly for the Lord Jesus Christ throughout all eternity. And so it's about progress. In verses 2 and 3, we have the commandments of God. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. And that's saying, it wasn't my commandments. Hey, listen, we do not follow commandments of men. We're not about that, and no church should be about that. Now, sad to say, sometimes as preachers, we have preached as though we're giving commandments that came from God, but if we don't have a chapter and verse for it, it didn't come from Him, amen? And so, uh, take the Word of God that's preached, leave the rest alone, or take it as maybe the pastor's opinion. I think we ought to be very careful to state this is what God's Word says, and there's times we say, this is what I think God is saying. If we're not confident, we better not just state it as fact. God wants all of us to be thinking Christians, not just listening and accepting blindly what any pastor, evangelist, missionary, other believer says, but the Bible says comparing spiritual with spiritual. We always line up everything with the Word of God. It is the only authoritative, absolutely uh, infallible source. That's the Scripture. And then in verse 3, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. 
So he's saying, this is a commandment. It comes from the Lord Jesus Christ, and this is the will of God. So it's a command that involves you and I living out God's will for our lives. What is it? Even your sanctification. Now, sanctification is something we normally don't talk about as much. Sanctification is a progressive uh, attribute of God that works in our life. It's what he does. Now, justification, that's instantaneous. Uh, So many other things that happen upon salvation happen. Now, uh, we do become uh, sanctified uh, instantaneous because sanctified means we are set apart. And you and I have been bought with a price and when we trust Christ, we don't belong to ourselves, we belong to him. So sanctified means Jesus did it right away, but sanctification is the process of you and I living out the fact that we belong to Jesus and not to ourselves. So we got sanct- we belong to Jesus the very instant we trusted Christ as our Savior, Sanctification is that process where we start acting like we belong to Jesus. And how many would say we don't always do that perfectly? Anybody else? Oh, only about five others, huh? Okay, well, I'm sorry. I'm in the wrong place here. I'm going to have to start acting better. Such good people. Yeah, so... We look in the mirror and we don't see that sanctified. We, but we know we belong to Jesus by salvation. And sanctification is that process of the Holy Spirit in our lives that help us to live like we belong to Jesus. And that's our goal. We want to be like him. We are little Christ. That's what the word Christian means, little Christ. And we want to reflect the nature of our Savior more and more. So the ultimate completion of which only occurs at Christ's return. And then he says, even our abstaining from uh, fornication. Now, fornication is a broad term meaning all type of sexual impurity. And the reason that's mentioned is because you recall the Jews came to faith in Christ on the day of Pentecost, and then the gospel was going out, and Gentiles were getting saved. And um, the apostles had a meeting in Acts chapter 15 to gather together and make sure, now, are we saved by faith and works, or are we saved by the grace of God through faith alone? And they came and they said, yes, we are saved by God's grace and our faith and our faith alone, whether you're Jew or Gentile, whether you're Hebrew or Greek, we all come to faith in Christ the same way, and our salvation is nothing more, nothing less than the grace of Christ and our faith in Him and what Jesus Christ did for us. And so we become saved. But now the apostle said, but since... uh, We've been Jews, and we've been very religious and used to living a very separated lifestyle, at least in front of other people. Uh, We would ask you to do four things. We would ask that you not eat animals that have been strangled. I don't know who wants to do that, but 
go, go elk hunting, what are you going to do? Oh, I'm going to grab him around the neck and try to choke him out. <laughs> Good luck with that one, you know. So we, we want him bled out. And then he says, not have meat that's been offered to idols, because the Jews, that would offend them. Now, I don't know what's happening at the local slaughterhouse and the meat packing, but I'm hoping they don't have images and they're all bowing down and, uh, you know, worshiping false deities while they uh, prepare our hamburgers. Uh, I don't think that's happening. And then he says, and don't drink blood. Well, I have no natural compulsion to do that. Now, I, I know there are societies in the world that do that. You know, they mix it with a little flour or milk, and they'll just chug it down like, oh, that's good. And I'm thinking, really? Oh, not, not to me. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't tempt my taste buds one, one bit. But then the fourth thing, three of them are dietary. And then the fourth thing is abstain from fornication. Well, I would have thought that would have been the top one, you know. Hey, live up your life. But here's why. Every false deity and every false god and every form of idolatry had something to do with a lascivious lifestyle, a sinful lifestyle that involved immorality. And so the Apostle Paul is, is speaking for Jesus and said, this is the will of God, even your sanctification, and abstain from fornication. That's any type of sexual impurity. So that involves singles and married and everyone in between. I'm just saying God has a plan for our lives. Our bodies are his vessels and they're to be separated unto him. God tells us exactly what to live. And I know that's not been always the case and there's been believers that have gotten themselves in trouble and have broken commandments and things along those lines. But I'm just saying there has to be a time in your life where you come and say, I'm going to follow God's word. And the ultimate thing that God is trying to tell us here is don't live a life that says anything goes. For a believer, we can never do that because we do not belong to ourselves. We belong to God. And so we want to please him with our life and through our actions. Verse 4, it says, we ought to know how to... Let me just read it. (laughs) That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Uh, Sometimes I say, well, I have trouble pronouncing things because I was... uh, educated in the South, and then I've been preaching in the South the last two Sundays, so I almost said that, and I thought, no, I, I should have said I, I was educated in the Northwest, so. <laughs> By the way, when I first moved to Oregon, Oregon was one of the top states in education. Now it's almost the bottom. See, we've forgotten reading, writing, arithmetic, haven't we? We want to teach the little boys how to be little girls, little girls how to be little boys. We want to uh, get them so confused they don't know where to go to the bathroom. Praise God for Christian schools that that still stick with the Word of God. 
Possess our vessels. It means simply be responsible for our actions. Let our life reflect the nature of Christ. Now, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, Christ is simply saying, live your life for me and my glory. And that's God's plan for our behavior as believers. If you're not a believer, let me urge you to trust the one who loves you so much. He died on Calvary for your sin, and he wants you to go to heaven forever instead of burn in hell forever and ever, because that is where we were destined, and that's what we earned by our own sin. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In verses 5 and 6, What possessing our vessel does not mean, he talks about the lust of concupiscence. And there again, that's a word we don't use very much, but it simply means an anything-go lifestyle. It means a superabundance of iniquity. It means to be overwhelmed by wickedness. And uh, not live that lifestyle. Don't defraud a brother, it goes on to say. Now, it's interesting that word defraud has the connotation It involves the idea of gain is a motivation. So you're taking advantage of another believer for what you get out of it. Don't defraud. Don't try to get anything out of another believer. If anything, be someone who gives to another believer. Do good unto all men, especially they of the household of faith. You know, we come to church together, but we don't come to try to uh, get things out of each other. That's not what God plans for believers. We're here to be a blessing to each other, not a leech to each other. And can I hear an amen? amen? That's right. We're not here to leech people. We're here to be a blessing to brothers and sisters in Christ And then in verses 7 and 8, we have God's call to holiness. When God calls us to holiness, let me just mention one of the ways that I think uh, is a good way to reflect that. If you think of holy not as checking all the boxes that a Christian ought to do, I ought to do this, 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 that is going to be an exercise in futility because you'll never be able to check them all. But think of holy as W-H-O-L-L-Y. Are you wholly committed to Christ? I didn't say, do you follow him perfectly? I said, does he have your whole heart? Does he have your affection? Are you going to mess up? Oh, yeah. As long as you're in this flesh, you're going to mess up. But even when you mess up, it doesn't mean he doesn't have all your heart. Do you love Jesus with your whole heart? And that's the kind of holiness that God's trying. Because if we love him with all our heart, he will work out his goodness in our lives. And that's what holiness is. It's not what we do. It's what Christ does in and through us. Notice, interesting, his Holy Spirit. If you look at your Bible, you'll notice that word holy is not capitalized. Because Paul is not trying to emphasize the name Holy Spirit. He's trying to emphasize the nature 
of who the Spirit of God is. He is holy. And that's what He wants in us. The Holy Spirit of God wants us to be holy. And so it's what He works out in and through our lives. There's a story told of a young girl who had accepted Christ as her personal Savior, and she wanted to join the church. Well, years ago, uh, they would bring believers, and they would be interrogated a little bit. And so they were asked questions of her in order for her to, them to see if she could join the church. And they said, uh, were you a sinner before you received Jesus Christ into your life? One of the deacons asked. And she said, yes, sir. Uh, well, are you still a sinner? And she said, well, to tell you the truth, I feel like I'm a greater sinner than ever. And so the deacon said, well, then what real change have you experienced? And she said, well, I, I don't know quite how to explain it. She said, except I used to be a sinner running after sin. Now I'm a sinner running away from sin. And that's what Jesus Christ does in us. He doesn't eradicate our sin. Praise God, at the rapture that happens. Amen. But our job is to run away from sin. Let me just share with you the greatest way to live a life pleasing to the Lord is to be very, very careful where you find yourself. Strong believers are not strong because they can resist every temptation. Strong believers are strong because they know how weak they are and they don't put themselves in compromising situations. And if you don't put yourself in a compromising situation, it's so easy, so much easier to live for God. I show up here at church almost every day. I don't get tempted while I'm on these grounds. It's a wonderful place. But as a believer, you got to figure that out. And you got to figure out where's healthy for you to be and what's unhealthy for you to be. You're not going to hang around the crowd that's going after sin, but what it's going to affect you. But if you hang around the crowd that is running from sin, that's going to help you. And so the Apostle Paul is speaking here about how we are to walk. And it doesn't matter whether we've been saved a little while or for 70 years. God wants to see us making progress in the Christian life because our whole goal is that we want to be more like Christ. I want to be more like Christ. I want to be more like Christ. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is telling the church at Thessalonica, Thessalonica and that's what he's telling us today. Let's just be more like Christ. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. We're going to have a word of prayer in just a minute. But it may be you're here this morning having never trusted Christ as your personal Savior. And if that's the case, the most wonderful thing that could ever happen today in your life is you let Jesus come into your life and be your Savior. And if you're willing and wanting Christ as your personal Savior... And you realize you're a sinner and Jesus is the only source of salvation in heaven and forgiveness. 
right now you could ask him to come into your heart. And you could word a simple prayer like this, Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me. I trust you, Jesus. I place my faith in you as one who lived and died and rose again for my salvation. I accept you as my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I wonder if there's someone here that would say, Pastor, I prayed that prayer and I meant it. Would you just lift up your hand and lift it right back down? Is there anyone? I'm not going to embarrass you. I want to pray for you. Anyone at all? I wonder if you're here. God bless you. I wonder if you're here this morning and you would say, Pastor, I want to be more like Jesus. And I think the Spirit of God spoke to my heart. And I want to work on that. I want to be more yielded so that his holiness works out in my life. I wonder if you're like that. Would you raise your hand, dear Christian? God bless you all throughout the auditorium. You may put your hands down. In just a while, we're going to give the invitation. If you're wanting to place your membership here at Grandview Baptist Church, if you want to have someone pray with you as you trusted Christ as your Savior, If you're thinking about getting baptized, any of those spiritual decisions, you can come forward and talk to any of our assistant pastors. Father, thank you for this day, and I pray that you will use your word to continue to speak in our hearts, and I pray that we would make decisions pleasing to thee. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And let's all stand to our feet. As the piano plays, let God do something in your heart and your life. Maybe as it doesn't play, will you come and let God speak to your heart? Let's have heads bowed, eyes closed. Let God do something in your life. to the Lord ask him to help you God bless you. You may be seated. We're going to watch the next video and then we'll be dismissed. Good morning and welcome to our service. We hope this morning's sermon from Pastor Mushler was a blessing to you. Join us back here tonight at 5 as we hear Pastor Mushler continue our series on Nehemiah, Building God's Way.
Ladies, if you have not yet registered for the Ladies Conference coming up at Grandview this Friday and Saturday, May 20 and 21st, there is still time to do so. Don't miss out on this time of encouragement and teaching, as well as a play put on by our members and staff. The cost will be $25, and sign-ups are available on the church website, as well as the welcome table in the foyer. Grandview Men's Softball is back this summer, and you can sign up for the welcome desk today. This year, we are playing our games at Wesley Lynn Park. The cost will be $40 to cover the field rental, team jersey, hat, and several weeks of games. For questions or more information, please see Paul Potter. Kids and teenagers, you will not want to miss out on our upcoming special inflatable day. Come to church on Sunday morning, May 22nd, for a special time in God's Word, singing, and exciting inflatable obstacle course that we will enjoy during the morning service. Join us for the Iwana Award Night on Wednesday, May 25th at 7 p.m. Children will say verses and will be given awards based on their accomplishments in the program. Don't miss out on this chance to see how much God is working in the lives of the children here at Grandview. If this is your first or second time here, we want to answer your questions and get to know you. Please fill out the connection card in the pew in front of you and bring it to guest services as you exit the auditorium. We would love to meet you and you will receive a gift card. Have a great afternoon and we'll see you tonight at 5. Let me mention, if you're signed up to be a part of the starting point class, we'll meet there in about 15 minutes in the Abundant Life classroom. God bless you. You're dismissed.